If you like scary stories, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories Podcast. <laughs> Sit back and relax. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times and enjoy the ride. The Homeless Man I was on the subway going to work. I was tired. I'm the kind of guy who has a difficult time operating on less than eight hours of sleep. Last night, I got six. I'm cranky when I'm tired. The subway was particularly crowded that morning. I literally had no elbow room. The guy sitting next to me reeked of body odor. The woman on the other side of me stank of cat piss. And the guy who had been standing in front of me with his ass in my face for the past ten minutes turned around and spilled his coffee all over my briefcase. Definitely not the ideal start to my day. When we reached my stop, I stood within the mass of bodies and we all flowed toward the doors like a stream of salmon. I noticed the homeless man sitting on the subway. Perhaps it wasn't fair of me to make such an assumption of the man, but he sure looked homeless to me. He was old and frail. His parched, leathery skin was blotched with month-old dirt. He wore a moth-eaten, crusty winter cap and a white t-shirt that had become a palette for a medley of food stains. He wore fingerless gloves that exposed the filth under his fingernails. But somehow he seemed happy. His toothless grin exuded genuine friendliness. And then there was the tattered cardboard sign he held. Scrawled across it in black magic marker, it said, You will make someone laugh today. That made me smile. He recognized my joy and made sure I noticed his tip jar by shaking it. I was happy to give him a $5 bill and I made my way to work. I work in an office doing a job that would put you to sleep if I started to go into detail. It was midday when Gloria, the gal across the aisle from me, gave me a command. Hey Roger, tell me a joke. I spun around in my chair and looked at her. She had a long face and seemed empty. Recently she had been complaining about problems with her husband at home. I knew it had been a rough time for her. The first joke that came to my head was a good one, but it was on the filthy side. I thought Gloria could use some good clean fun, so I gave her something short and sweet. What do you call a fly with no wings? She shrugged. A walk. She smiled and then let out a loud cackle. Thanks, Roger. I needed that. She spun around to her desk with a newfound sense of energy. It felt good that I could make her laugh. That's when it dawned on me. I made somebody laugh today. The next day I got on the subway after having gotten a full eight hours of sleep. 
The subway wasn't as busy, so I had room to stretch out, and the only aroma in the air was the subtle mingling of perfume and cologne. As I exited the subway, I spotted the homeless man again. He looked exactly the same, with one exception. He had a new message on his cardboard sign. It read, You will find money today. I gave him a smile and said, If I do, I'll split it with you. As I approached my office building, I saw a small piece of paper blowing in the wind. It swirled to a stop next to my shoe. That's when I realized it was a $20 bill. I quickly snatched it up and my thoughts immediately drifted back to the homeless man. I've heard of coincidences before, but this was really something. That night I worked late, so the subway was practically empty. But I did spot the homeless man. I walked up to him as the subway approached my stop and held up the $20 bill I found earlier. I told you I'd split it with you, but I think you deserve the whole thing. I pushed the $20 bill into his tip jar. I began to exit the subway, but the homeless man reached out and tugged on my jacket. As I turned to see what he wanted, he lifted up his cardboard sign. It said, Tonight, you will meet the girl of your dreams. That message brought a beaming smile out of me. (laughs) I hope you're right, buddy. That night, I sat down in my easy chair and cracked open a beer. I got ready to relax and watch a basketball game I had been looking forward to seeing all day. It was my alma mater, Middle Tennessee State University. Then I thought of the homeless man and his sign. How was I going to meet the girl of my dreams if I was sitting all alone at home? So I decided to go down to the local sports bar and watch the game there. The Blue Raiders started off hot and jumped out to a 10-3 lead. When they hit a three-pointer, I stood up and cheered. And so did a woman a few tables down from me. This was unusual because nobody out of Tennessee knows who the Middle Tennessee Blue Raiders are and I was a long way from Tennessee. A few minutes later, a waitress brought a beer to me and pointed out the fellow Blue Raiders fan. She said it was from her. The gal joined me at my table and introduced herself as Tina, a fellow Middle Tennessee State alum. She was just a few years younger than me, super nice, and stunningly beautiful. Oh, and did I mention single? We made a date for the weekend. This may very well be the girl of my... of my dreams. The girl of my dreams, just like the homeless man had predicted. I wasn't sure what to think. I mean, the first two forecasts could have been pure coincidence, but there's no way in the world this third one was. This had to be real. This homeless man had to genuinely be able to tell the future. The next day, I got to the subway early and rushed up and down the aisles in each car searching for him. I had to find him. I had to talk to him and know how he had this amazing ability, and more importantly, find out what was going to happen to me next. When I finally found him, he didn't seem like his happy self. 
He was saddened by something. His shoulders were slumped and his head was drooped forward. When I tapped him on the shoulder, he looked up at me with tear-filled eyes. I was about to ask him what was wrong, but that answer became clear as he slowly held up the cardboard sign which read, This is the last day of your life. Ghost Train Halloween season is my favorite time of year because I love haunted attractions. Every single year there is a plethora of haunts to choose from. I've traveled across the country looking for unique attractions that will deliver some serious thrills and scares. Haunted houses, haunted corn mazes, haunted caverns, haunted caves, haunted ships, haunted trails, haunted hotels, haunted factories, haunted boat rides, haunted prisons, haunted amusement parks. I've done just about all of them. I was at work chatting with a coworker about how many places I've been to and how I've been having a difficult time finding something new and exciting to quench my Halloween thirst. A guy who sits behind us named Craig had apparently been eavesdropping on our conversation and slowly poked his head over the cubicle wall and yelled out, Boo! Craig was a goofball guy who was always joking around and could never take anything serious. But he was good for a laugh on a boring day. Have either of you girls been to the ghost train? I nodded. I've done haunted trains before, they're typically not very scary. I didn't say haunted train, I said the ghost train. Where is it? About an hour from here. I shook my head. If there was a haunted train ride just an hour away, I would have heard about it. Craig walked around the cubicle and pulled a chair up close to us and sat down. This is kind of like a black market haunted attraction. They don't advertise and not many people know about it. A friend of mine told me about it a couple years ago. I went there and it blew my mind. I wasn't sure if I believed Craig or not. This jokester might have been pulling my leg, but I was intrigued. Okay, how do I find this mysterious ghost train? I'd have to take you there. You never find it on your own, and there are some stipulations you'd have to agree with. Like, you have to be blindfolded until you are actually on the train. They don't like any first-timers knowing about the location. I knew Silly Craig well enough to know he wasn't planning on taking me there to assault me or anything like that. He was a bonehead, but he was harmless. So I agreed. I just had to see this secretive Halloween haunt. Okay, how about tonight? He shook his head. That's another thing. The ghost train only rides on October 30th. October 30th was on Friday, just two days away, and I was going to be counting the seconds. 
The clandestine aspect surrounding this haunt was captivating. Once Friday rolled around, Craig kept teasing me, saying things like, Are you sure you want to do this? You may be sorry. You're going to be freaked out. You may never recover from this. There was no way this ghost train was going to live up to the hype he had built up. Once work finally ended, I sprinted to his car. He purposely took his time and strolled slowly through the parking lot, milking my anticipation as much as possible. When I finally got into his car, I told him that if the ghost train freaked me out as much as he was leading on, I'd take him out to dinner afterward. Awesome, but you may regret that. I'm hungry. We were on the road for about 45 minutes when Craig slowed and pulled into the pothole-filled parking lot of an old abandoned bank with broken windows. We're about to reach the town limits. I have to blindfold you now. Seriously? I thought he may be joking about the blindfolding business, but he was dead serious. Sorry, but it's necessary. Just trust me. I agreed, and he blindfolded me, rather snugly, I might add. After another 10 or 15 minutes, I could feel his car slow to a stop, and he shut the engine off. Okay, keep your blindfold on. No peeking, agreed? Yes, yes, I agree. Now take me to the ghost train. I could hear Craig get out of the car and shut his door behind him. A few seconds later, my door opened and he ushered me out of his vehicle. Hold on to my hand and I'll lead you into the ghost train. Walk carefully and stay close to me. I could feel gravel crunching underneath my feet before I heard Craig say, Take a step up. I followed his instructions and could hear a subtle metallic clang as my foot came to rest on a step. I could hear him as he climbed up onto the step next to me and directed me up a few more steps before he finally stopped. I'm going to leave you now. You have to do this alone. After you hear me shut the door behind you, take off your blindfold. When the train conductor asks you where you're going, tell him you want to go round trip. I could hear Craig's footsteps grow distant as he walked away and then heard the loud shriek of a heavy, uncooperative door sliding shut. I reached around, untied my blindfold, and pulled it off. It took a moment for my eyes to adjust, but when they did, I could see that I was standing in between cars of a train. I slid one of the adjoining doors open and stepped into a passenger car. I was expecting the passenger car to be covered with cobwebs and Halloween decorations, but that was not the case at all. It was beautiful. There was approximately ten rows of varnished wooden seats. The entire train was lit by candle, but the effect was more cozy than creepy. There was only one other person in the car. It was a woman who was sitting near the front of the car. She was dressed in old-style clothing and was wearing a bonnet. When she turned to look at me, I was expecting her to be decked out in skull makeup and to lash out and make me jump. But she was just an ordinary woman who gave me a polite smile and then turned back around. I took a seat in the middle of the car near one of the windows. 
I tried to look out of the window to see if I could spot Craig, but the windows all had wooden blinds pulled so nobody could see outside. Once I was settled in, the train's engines rattled to life, and an elongated squealing screech preceded the rhythmic clunk of the iron wheels and the shake of the passenger car as the train began to move. Once the train began to pick up some speed, the wooden shutters sprang open, allowing me to see out onto the cold, moonlit October night. We weren't more than a few minutes into the train ride when the train conductor emerged from the front of the train. He was the first creepy aspect of the ghost train. He was dressed in an old-fashioned train conductor's outfit. His manicured white beard was almost the same shade as his unusually pale skin. He turned and let out a hacking cough before approaching me and speaking in a cracked old man voice. Where to, ma'am? Round trip, please. The weathered conductor stared at me for a moment before giving me a quick wink. He then moved along and exited the passenger car. So I guess the ghost train was free for me. Sweet. I sat back and stared out the window, anxious for the ghostly shenanigans to begin. I could feel my skin break out in goosebumps as the train slowed and we approached a cemetery. It was huge and looked authentic. There were drifts of fog snaking their way around various large, intricate, vintage tombstones. I was expecting an army of zombies to push themselves up from underground and rush the train. But that didn't happen. Nothing happened. We just traveled by a creepy cemetery. After that, we passed a rather ominous-looking forest with oodles of thick-trunked trees. They had monstrous branches that appeared to be arms reaching out for the train. I thought maybe one of the trees would spring to life and attack the train. But they didn't. We just rode by. Then we came upon an old train station. It was raggedy and worn. It appeared that it could topple over at any moment. It was covered in thick cobwebs and had an old western feel to it. I thought maybe we'd get ambushed by ghostly cowboys. Perhaps they'd even jump onto the train and give us all a good fright. That didn't happen either. And a few minutes later, I heard the old conductor's voice ring out. Round trips complete. That was it? That was the ghost train that was supposed to freak me out? I mean, it was kind of cool, but they could have done so much more with it. The train screeched to a halt and I got up. I took one more look around at the impressive old-style passenger cab before exiting. As I stepped from the train, Craig was waiting for me. He was leaning against his car with his arms folded. He was holding a mischievous grin as though he had just won something. I stepped up to him and shrugged. That was it? His smile grew larger as he nodded. That was it. Before I could say anything further, he reached out, put each of his hands on my upper arms, and spun me around. I was staring at an ancient, steam-powered locomotive. It was a massive beast and caked with a thick layer of rust. The windows were shattered and moonlight exposed the cobweb-ridden, dusty interior and the gargantuan wheels of the train were rusted to the track. 
This thing probably hadn't been in motion for over a century. That's when it hit me. This wasn't a gimmick. This wasn't some playful haunted Halloween attraction. This was a ghost train. The woman on the train, the old conductor, the train itself, they were all honest-to-goodness ghosts. This was all real. I turned back around and looked at Craig. My mouth was agape. My eyes were as wide as saucers. I'm certain I was nearly as pale as the ghost of the train conductor. I was searching for words to say but was legitimately speechless. Craig suddenly became very serious. I can see you enjoyed it. He began to sneer. But there's one huge problem. Craig tilted his head down slightly and raised his eyes up, staring at me in a sinister fashion. I could feel shivers running down my spine. Something about his menacing eyes made me think he was about to confess to being a ghost and that he was going to kill me because once you ride the ghost train, you have to become a ghost yourself. His evil glare quickly transformed into a grin. I can't decide if I want steak or seafood for dinner. I let out a massive breath of relief and playfully punched Craig in the arm. Then I treated him to the best steak and seafood restaurant I knew of. Hello, my crazy maniacal friends. If you like what you're hearing, please consider contributing. Any amount helps. Recurring monthly contributions are best of all. Just go to maniacontheloose.com slash support. Believe me, this maniac appreciates it very much. That's maniacontheloose.com slash support. First sight. I'm a happily married man, and that's putting it lightly. I married the woman of my dreams. I couldn't ask for more. My interest in any other woman on the planet disappeared in an instant when I met my wife. I would never cheat on her. Such a notion would never even cross my mind in the least. Hell. I don't even dream about other women on accident. That's how happy I am with my wife and my life. I'm the general manager of a regional office for a large supply company. I run a tight ship at the office and only employ the best department heads. The CEO was paying us a visit today, which was fine with me. He could drop by any time he wanted to and I wouldn't have to lift a finger. My office is at its absolute best at all times. It had been an average day at work when one of my department heads, 
A taskmaster named Patricia asked if she could have a word with me. She explained that one of her recent hires had turned out to be a disaster. This woman was late for work every single day. She was lazy, she was rude to other employees and to customers. Her physical appearance was unkempt and unacceptable to say the least. And on top of that, she smelled of body odor. I told Patricia that all of which she described was clearly grounds for dismissal and she had my approval. That's when Patricia explained that the young lady demanded to speak with me before she was fired. She wanted to tell her side of the story. I nodded and Patricia led the lady into my office. I lost my breath when this dream of a woman entered the room. Patricia introduced her as Gertrude. Gertrude was dumpy and morbidly obese, but in a sexy way. She walked with an adorable limp due to one leg being shorter than the other. She had incredibly beautiful, long, greasy, unwashed hair. The gaze of her lazy, bloodshot eye exuded a sexual ecstasy. Her face was pudgy like dough. The kind of dough you want to make love to. And she had the most endearing brown hairy mole on the tip of her chin. Oh, and her scent. That musty body odor was arousing every ounce of my sexual being. When she finally flashed a smile of decaying teeth, I felt my body begin to swell. I was glad I was sitting down for there was no way I would be able to conceal my raging erection otherwise. I would have given anything to spend one night between those chubby, misshapen, uneven, luscious legs. Gertrude's gruff, raspy voice sounded like angels singing. This bitch wants to fire me. Patricia threw her hands up in the air. Do you see what I mean, Mr. Morris? Can I relieve her of her duties now? Gertrude stepped forward and began twirling her oily hair as she spoke with a flirtatious tone. Mr. Morris, I like that name. Do you want to kiss me, Mr. Morris? I immediately began nodding profusely. Then fire this whore. I instantly turned to Patricia. Patricia, you're fired. Patricia looked at me in shock as Gertrude continued with her demands. Now give me Patricia's job. There was no hesitation when I spoke. It's yours, Gertrude. Do I get to kiss you now? I started licking my lips with anticipation and can feel beads of anxious sweat forming above my brow. At the same time, Patricia was throwing a fit. I can't believe what I'm hearing. You listen to me, Mr. Morris. I'm taking this directly to the CEO, and I'm going to the press as well. This is outrageous. Gertrude grinned at me and began rubbing her hand over her succulent, sagging breasts. Want to do more than just kiss me? Oh, oh yes. Yes, I do, Gertrude. 
Then kill this hussy. In a flash, I jumped over my desk and wrapped my hands around Patricia's throat. I squeezed as tight as I could and tripped her down to the floor. Patricia was fighting back valiantly. She clawed at me with her long nails, ripping flesh from my face. The pain was immense, but I didn't care. I just needed to kill Patricia so Gertrude would let me have her. Finally, Patricia's strength began to diminish and her arms went limp. I kept squeezing until her eyes rolled back into her head and she turned an odd shade of purple. Even though she was clearly dead, I was still squeezing her throat with all my might when the CEO walked into my office. What the hell is going on here? Gertrude spoke up. He just killed Patricia. The CEO immediately cried out for someone to call security. Why did you do this, Mr. Morris? I pointed to Gertrude. She told me to. I had to do it for her. The CEO turned his attention to Gertrude, and I witnessed him grow weak in the knees. He had to put his hand on the wall to support himself. I could see his pants distort in a display of arousal, and he began to stammer before finally spitting out a slew of words. You are the most stunning creature I have ever witnessed. What can I do to make you love me? Gertrude ran her sausage-like fingers over her lips. You tell me. The CEO pointed at me. This man is a murderer. I, I can't keep him employed. Would you like his job? W would that make you love me? I found myself boiling with jealousy as Gertrude approached the CEO and ran the back of her scab-infested hand down his cheek. Nah. You take his job. I want your job. The CEO dropped to his knees and took her hand. As you wish, Gertrude. As you wish. It was then that security arrived and was ordered to take me away. The thought of being away from Gertrude made me crazy and I tried to fight the guards off in a frenzy, but there were too many of them and they overpowered me. I observed the irresistible Gertrude grace the office doorway. I witnessed every single male in the office instantly stop what they were doing and stand at attention as they admired her. Some were literally drooling. Others began to masturbate on the spot. As I was whisked away, I watched on as Gertrude reached into her raggedy purse. She withdrew a tiny vial and began to drink from it. I could barely read the small words stenciled on the side of the vial. Love Potion Number Six My wife and I recently bought a home in a moderate-sized town. 
There is a historic downtown district on one end of town with a lot of privately owned bars and restaurants. On the other end of town is a newer mall area with gobs of franchise sit-down restaurants. We had spent the day moving in and were tired and hungry. We were ready to sit down at a nice restaurant, relax, and stuff our faces. After throwing around a lot of different restaurants that we wanted to eat at, we ultimately decided to go to one of the chain restaurants in the more heavily populated mall area. I knew how to get to the old downtown area but wasn't sure how to get to the mall. We had been driving for approximately a mile when I realized I left my phone at home and thus had no GPS to assist me. I could have gone back home and gotten my phone, but we were already on our way and I had a general idea as to the vicinity of the mall, so I opted to wing it. I got on a congested street that I was confident led to the mall. After a couple miles, the street ended at a stop sign, so clearly I was mistaken. I had no clue which way to turn, so I took a guess and turned right. After another mile, this street ended at a stop sign as well. As I made a hasty decision to turn right, I noticed that there was a lot more lights in the sky to the left, so the mall was likely back that way. Fortunately, up ahead was a massive church. I figured I could simply pull in there, turn around, and we'd be headed in the correct direction. The driveway to the church was long and winded up a hill before finally emptying out in an enormous parking lot. The church was colossal and made out of weathered wood that gave it a barn-like appearance. I noticed that several of the windows in the church were shattered and it was clear that this ancient relic was no longer in use. The old foreboding church loomed over us as I began the process of turning around. That's when I noticed another road at the other end of the gigantic church parking lot. The road was extremely busy which made me believe it would lead us to the mall. I drove through the sweeping church parking lot which ended at a dirt road that led to the busy road. We were close enough that I could see the road's name. Friendship Road. The problem was there was a sign in front of the dirt road that read, Do Not Enter. This made no sense. The dirt road wasn't more than a block long. It clearly led to Friendship Road. There was nobody else around, and I mean, I wouldn't be on the dirt road for more than a minute, so I ignored the sign and began traveling down the dirt road. About halfway down the road, another sign appeared before us. This one said, Turn around now. A few feet after that one was another sign that said, Go back. Friendship Road was only 10 seconds away, so I disregarded those signs as well and traveled down the remainder of the dirt road. When I reached Friendship Road, it was quite strange as there were no vehicles on the road whatsoever. It was only seconds ago that this road was bumper to bumper with vehicles, but now 
before my very eyes. Friendship Road was nothing more than a long, dark, lonely road with not a soul in sight. My wife commented on how unusual this was and suggested that we turn back. However, I was very curious about Friendship Road. Where were all the vehicles that were just on it? Where did they go? Where did this road lead to? Even though the road was vacant now, it was busy just seconds ago. In my mind, this road had to lead to the mall. So I took a left onto Friendship Road, hoping for the best. We had been traveling for five minutes before my wife pointed out how dark the sky was. She was correct. It was black as coal. Earlier, there was a near full moon out that had illuminated everything brightly. But it was gone, as if swallowed up by the black sky. I checked my rearview mirror multiple times to see if there was any headlights behind me indicating this road was as busy as it seemed to be earlier, but nothing. And no cars were passing us in the other direction either. We were alone. It was a few minutes later when we saw our first sign of life. There were two men walking on the side of the road. They were both wearing overalls and no shirts underneath. They had on gas masks and were carrying a small coffin. As we passed by them, they stopped and stared at us. My wife was alarmed. What the hell was that? I shook my head. I don't know, but I'm turning around the first chance I get. I drove for several more minutes searching for a parking lot or driveway to turn around in but there was nothing. The road just kept going and going. I was about to stop and do a three-point turn in the middle of the dark road when I noticed the amber glow of a light up ahead in the distance. I figured if there was a light, there'd at least be some kind of area I could turn around in. As we got closer to the light, I could make out that it was flickering and could see sparks of ember in the sky above a dark silhouette of a forest. As I turned a bend and emerged past the forest, the massive fire came into view. At first I thought it was a bonfire, but then I saw a large stake in the middle of the roaring blaze. The fire was surrounded by a large group of people wearing dark robes with hoods pulled over their heads. As we drove down the road, I could see all of their heads turn in our direction in unison. That's when I noticed that there was a woman tied to the stake. They were burning someone alive. Before I could even react, the mass of hooded specters rushed our vehicle at a blazing speed. I watched on as some of them pulled knives out from under their robes and brandished them as they got closer. I did as fast of a three-point turn as I could and pounded on the accelerator just before the group reached our vehicle. 
I could hear the mob's screams of rage disappear into the distance as I blazed down Friendship Road, back in the direction from which we came. We were many miles from that scene when I heard the first deep thud ahead of us. It sounded as though a gigantic anvil had fallen from the sky and impacted with the earth. It was followed by another one. My wife heard it too. What was that? I don't know. Another thud. That one was louder and closer. I wasn't sure where the sound was coming from, so I pressed down on the accelerator, hoping to speed away from whatever that was. The opposite happened. The next thud was thunderous and shook the ground beneath the car. And then the source of the thuds emerged. The dark black forest lining the road ripped open and a monstrous head appeared. It was a scaled beast with sabers for teeth. The rest of the monster's hulking body crashed through the wood line and rammed into the side of the vehicle, sending us into a wild spin. When the car finally came to an abrupt halt in the middle of the road, we caught a clear view of the monstrosity before us. It was a dinosaur. But not just any dinosaur. It was a damn Tyrannosaurus Rex. I stomped on the accelerator and somehow spun the vehicle around and we rocketed down the road away from the prehistoric creature. The T-Rex gave chase and was right on our tail. We were nearing 70 miles per hour before we finally put distance between us and the beast and it finally disappeared into the black night behind us. What the hell is going on? My wife's eyes widened. Maybe that's it. Maybe we've died and gone to hell. I shook my head vigorously. I refused to accept that. No, no, no. I'll, I'll get us out of here. I'll get us off of this road. Our vehicle was jutting down the road at a ferocious pace when I finally saw a ray of hope in the form of a sign that read... Friendship Road, ending soon. But that ray of hope vanished in a puff of smoke when I saw a swarm of bodies blocking the road ahead of us. I let out an audible gasp of disgust when I was hit with a wave of decaying odor. The stench was coming from the horde of people in front of us, but they weren't people at all. They were zombies, a crowd of disgusting, rotting, savage zombies. They lethargically staggered toward our vehicle. Their banshee-like screams filled the gloomy night. They were the only thing stopping us from getting off this godforsaken road. I stomped on the accelerator and tore through the mass of zombies like a bowling ball ripping through bowling pins. Showers of rotting body parts flew through the air as we motored through the decomposing horde of the undead. A skull cracked our windshield, a skeletal torso shattered it. But finally, the throng of zombies was in our rearview mirror. 
I stopped when I reached a simple yellow wooden blockade in the middle of the road that read, The End of Friendship Road. It would be easy to smash through. That was not why I stopped. I stopped because of the little girl standing in front of the barricade, holding a teddy bear. The girl was wearing a yellow Easter dress. Her blonde hair was tied in neat pigtails. Her bright blue eyes looked sad as she stared at us. Her voice was dejected and pitiful. Don't leave me. My wife grabbed my shoulder. It's a trap. I shrugged. What am I supposed to do? I, I, I can't run over a little girl. Before I could say anything else, I noticed the teddy bear growing in the little girl's arms. Within a matter of seconds, it was the same size of the girl and was standing beside her. The teddy bear's smile had transformed into an intense snarl and its eyes began to blaze red. And it continued to grow. It was now the size of a grizzly bear and was glaring down at the little girl who looked frightened. Help me! She screamed out her last words as the insane teddy bear lurched over and swallowed the girl down in one horrific gulp. My wife screamed as the teddy bear turned its terrifying gaze upon us. And it kept growing. It was now the size of a house and let out the most hideous evil laugh as it stomped forward toward us. We were sitting ducks if I didn't do something. Our tires squealed as I pressed firmly on the accelerator and we launched forward. Somehow we managed to sneak our way between the gargantuan teddy bear's legs and shattered the roadblock sign to smithereens. Suddenly the moon lit the sky once more. There were streetlights and houses and buildings, and there were other cars on the road. I quickly looked behind us and no longer saw any evidence of the malevolent road of terror we had just encountered. If you like horror movies, you'd probably like some cool horror movie t-shirts. Amazon has a ton of them. Go to maniacontheloose.com slash shirt. This will take you to Amazon's horror t-shirt page. By going through my link, Amazon gives me a small percentage of the profit instead of keeping it all for themselves. That's maniacontheloose.com slash shirt. Vacancy. I was traveling cross-country for work and it was getting late. My eyelids were growing heavier by the second. I had nearly dozed off once already. I needed a bed and fast. I got off at the first exit that had a hotel sign. 
When I reached the end of the ramp, I saw a sign indicating that the hotel was four miles down the road. After two miles, I could barely keep my eyes open. I noticed I was driving through an old section of whatever town I was in. On each side of the street were four or five old buildings that were wall to wall. They were brick buildings that seemed to have been well preserved. They appeared to be home to multiple small businesses. One was a coffee shop, another an antique store, there was a jewelry store, and next to that, I spotted an establishment that instantly grabbed my attention. Claudia's Bed and Breakfast. I was in luck. There was a large sign on the door that read, Vacancy. I was very fortunate because I didn't think I could make it the next two miles to the hotel without falling asleep at the wheel. But now I didn't have to. A bed is a bed, right? I immediately pulled over. I got out of my car, quickly made my way to the front door, and was about to wrap my knuckles on the window when I spotted a frail, frizzy-haired old woman wearing a tattered robe approaching the door. It was almost as though she were expecting me. She opened the front door and looked up at me with muddy brown eyes. You need a room, don't you, young man? As long as the room has a bed. She smiled and waved me inside. Come with me. I followed the old woman up a thin, squeaky flight of stairs. She led me down a shadowy corridor and pushed the door to the room open. Is it to your liking? I poked my head into the room. It was a small room with bright yellow walls and white chiffon curtains. I see a bed, so yes, it is. I pulled out my wallet, but the old woman waved me off. You're tired. Get some sleep. You can square up with me in the morning. Breakfast is at eight o'clock. I thanked her and entered the room. I shut the door, threw off my jacket, and sat down on the bed. It was very soft and cloud-like. I was going to sleep like a baby. As I pulled my shoes off, I noticed three unusual pictures hanging on the wall. Each was a picture that focused on the bed within the very room I was in. Under each picture were individual plaques that read, Past, Present, and Future. In the picture that said Past, I could make out the figure of a body under the blankets on the bed. The photo called Present showed a made-up but empty bed, and the photo that read future showed someone lying in the bed with the covers pulled up over them, much like the present picture. It was kind of cute, like someone was comfy in the bed not long ago, and will be again in the future, but right now it's empty because I'm standing here looking at the pictures. A little weird, but cute. As I took off my pants and shirt, I noticed there was one distinct difference between the past and future pictures. In the past picture, I noticed a large red stain on the pillow next to the sleeping person's head. I wasn't sure what that was supposed to represent, 
and I really didn't care. Sleep was my priority, and I was out before my head hit the pillow. I woke up to a crack of thunder and the relentless hammering of rain on the roof above me. I peered over at the digital clock sitting on the bedstand next to me. I was relieved to see that the time was 3.30 a.m. I still had plenty of time to get more sleep. Just as I was about to close my eyes again, a flash of light illuminated the room and something caught my eye. It was the trio of pictures on the wall. There was something different about them. I got out of bed, flipped on the light, and inspected the photos. I confirmed that they were indeed significantly different from before, in an extremely creepy way. The past photo was a picture of me sitting on the bed removing my shoes. I urgently turned around and began scanning the wall for cameras. I didn't spot anything straight away, but obviously there was one there somewhere and I was being filmed without my consent. And worse yet, the old woman printed this picture, came into my room while I was sleeping, and hung it up. Strange, creepy, unnerving, yeah, all of the above. This was my cue to conclude my night of sleep at the hotel two miles down the road. I jumped into my pants, slipped on my shoes, and sloppily threw on my shirt. As I headed for the door to get the hell out of Claudia's disturbing bed and breakfast, I caught a glimpse of the pictures again. What the hell? They were different than they had been just a minute ago. The past picture now showed an image of me lying in bed asleep as the old woman stood at the side of my bed glaring down at me. Then I noticed the present picture. What is going on here? The present picture was just that. It was me standing in front of the three pictures staring at them. I gasped when I saw what was in the future picture. And it was at that time when I heard the door to my room burst open. I turned my head to see the crazy old woman, her face twisted into a ferocious scowl, rushing toward me with a machete held high in the air. This shouldn't have been a surprise to me. The future picture showed my decapitated head lying on the bed. The service. I'm a nerd. I wear glasses, I have a pocket protector, I love a good bow tie, I'm president of the Dungeons and Dragons Club at school, sometimes we even dress up as our characters, I'm a computer whiz, I have a gigantic action figure and comic book collection, and yes, I'm a huge fan of Star Trek. The fact is, I've always been fine with all of this. 
That is, until I fell in love with the head cheerleader in high school. Her name is Becky. She has long, flowing golden hair, sparkling blue eyes, and lips of cherry. Her body is trim, fit, and perfectly proportioned. My friend Stuart tutors her in science. I traded him a Grimm's Word Ultimate 7 action figure to fill in for him one afternoon. Becky is smarter than one might expect a cheerleader of her standing to be. She doesn't really need a tutor. It's just that she's super busy and falls behind. Having a tutor helps her catch up faster. After our lesson was over, she told me that she recognized my name from the Dungeons and Dragons Club. I guess the sign-up sheet was near the cheerleader sheet. She told me that she always thought it sounded fun and would like to play. She even asked me if I would teach her how. I think I said I would. I got lost in her hypnotic eyes and can't recall. Anyhow, this is my soulmate. I'm sure of it. The problem is that Becky has a boyfriend. A jerk-off jock named Johnny Collins. He's a football, basketball, and baseball star. He's also a bully who has picked on me consistently since I was a freshman two years ago. I figured by the time I was a junior, those childish antics would subside. But just last week, he knocked my lunch bag out of my hand and stomped on it. I'm sure Becky is unaware of this side of Johnny, or she wouldn't still be with him. Becky congregates in a vastly different circle than I do. She's one of the cool kids, and hangs out with that crowd. Most of their school activities center around sports, of which I know nothing. Whenever I see her in the student parking lot, she's getting a ride home from Johnny or one of her other friends in a sharp, shiny new car. I still take the bus. Even though she told me she had an interest in D&D, outside of tutoring, she never comes anywhere near our locker hangout area. Let's face it, a nerdy guy like me was never going to land a girl like Becky. Not without some serious changes. In order to get her to consider me, I'd need to be a cool kid. A popular kid. And being halfway decent looking wouldn't hurt either. I was up for the challenge, but didn't even know where to begin, so I started scanning the internet. After an hour of searching for ideas, I was about to give up when I happened upon a business simply called The Service. Their tagline was, We'll take you from geek to chic in one night. This was exactly what I was looking for. I called the number on their website and spoke to an operator with a deep, lustful voice. I confessed that I was a nerd and revealed that I wanted to do anything possible to get the head cheerleader. They said they'd be able to help me and the price they quoted me for their service was quite high. But that was fine. I had saved up a lot of tutoring money over the years and was willing to spend it on something important such as this. I was told that an associate would get in touch with me soon. The next day, I was standing alone at the bus stop when I heard a smooth, sensual voice call my name. Ronald? 
I turned my head and my eyes nearly popped from my skull when I saw a voluptuous woman in a form-fitting, low-cut dress, revealing cleavage that I could get lost in for days. <laughs> Her pale skin and deep red lips were framed by raven-black hair, which spilled over her shoulders. She was leaning against a red Ferrari. Boy, she would look good dressed up as a warrior princess. My name is Rhonda. Are you ready to be serviced? I nodded my head like a doofus, and she motioned for me to get into her dazzling ride. As she drove me around town, making sure everyone who was anyone saw me in the Ferrari, she explained to me the entire plan. They got word around school that I was going to be late today due to my falling out with my filthy rich girlfriend with ties to royalty who happens to live on the other side of the country. The reason for the fallout was that I was screwing her twin sister. And here's the kicker. She didn't break up with me. I broke up with her because I was bored with her. Quite frankly, I thought this story made me seem like a first-class schmuck. But the sensual woman assured me this would make me an overnight sensation within the halls of the school. The service circulated a rumor that I had landed a significant part in an upcoming superhero movie. If anyone brought this up to me, I was instructed to respond by saying that my agent is still in negotiations with the movie studio and I can't comment any further. The service also booked a nearby lodge for a gigantic party that I was hosting, and everyone would be coming. Rhonda brought the sports car to a skidding halt outside the high school. Everyone stopped and turned as I exited from the car. The sensual beauty exited, rounded the vehicle, wrapped her arms and one of her legs around me, and gave me a tongue-slithering sloppy kiss. I was dizzy with ecstasy as she whispered in my ear, If they ask you who I am, just say I'm someone you have some fun with on the side. As she drove away, I noticed that all of my fellow students were watching me in awe. They were mesmerized and impressed, to say the least. I strutted into school like John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever. That day, my fellow students treated me like some kind of rock star that they were all too nervous to approach. Rhonda had told me to expect as much. The highlight of my day was when I made eye contact with Becky from across the hall, and she smiled and waved at me. Was this really working? That night, I got to the lodge expecting for the service to gussy me up but Rhonda insisted I keep my normal attire. Their goal wasn't to change who I was, but rather to change everyone else's perception of me. The party was massive. The entire high school must have showed up. Even Stuart and the rest of my nerdy friends were there. <laughs> they were all instantly deemed cool by their association with me. It was an awesome night, and I was having a lot of fun. The problem was, Becky was having a good time as well. She was dancing, laughing, and seemed to be having the time of her life with Johnny and some of her other friends. 
<laughs> she was even yucking it up with my good buddy Stuart, who was even more of a nerd than I was. But she hadn't said a word to me all night. I spotted Rhonda leaning up against the bar nursing a martini. She waved me over. When I reached her, she welcomed me with a sexy smile. Having a good time? I nodded. Wait. The fun is just about to begin. I crinkled my nose in confusion. What do you mean? She motioned toward Johnny who was chugging a drink from a red cup. Once Johnny is dead, Becky will seek comfort in your arms. Dead? What are you talking about? His drink is poisoned. He'll fall dead within five minutes. Uh, poisoned? You're going to kill him? You said you would do anything possible to get the head cheerleader. My mouth was agape as Rhonda strolled away. But as stunned as I was by Rhonda's revelation, I was even more shocked when Johnny Collins approached me and spoke sincerely. Uh, Ronald, I want to apologize to you for bullying you all these years. Truth is, I've always been jealous of you. I was dumbfounded. Jealous? Of me? You've always been so smart, and you know what you like, and aren't afraid to enjoy yourself no matter what other people think. You're brave. I couldn't believe what I was hearing, but Johnny continued. I'm just a dumb jock. If I wasn't good at sports, I'd have nothing. Nobody would care about me, and the sad truth is that one day, I won't be the popular athlete anymore. And what then? You, on the other hand, will always be smart and have the gumption to go after what you want and enjoy yourself along the way. And just like that, I was feeling sorry for this jerk that had bullied me and treated me like dung most of my life. Johnny, I think you're being a little hard on yourself. I mean, you have Becky. She's the most wonderful, beautiful girl in the world. He shook his head. I don't have her. Her heart lies elsewhere. What do you mean? Where does her heart lie? With you, Ronald. Her heart lies with you. Ever since you tutored her that day, you're all she ever talks about. She's secretly a nerd kind of like you. She's into cosplay, she loves comic books, she's a big Star Trek fan, and she's so impressed with the fact that you are the president of the Dungeons and Dragons Club. You two are perfect for each other. Those are her words, not mine. She told me that last night when she broke up with me. What? She broke up with you? For me? Johnny nodded. This doesn't make sense. She's been having such a good time with you and her other friends. Even my buddy Stuart. But she hasn't even looked my way. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's kind of like when you lost your nerd status. She lost interest. Those were Johnny's last words. He had a massive heart attack and fell to the floor, dead. 
As for Becky, she found comfort in the arms of my nerdy friend, Stuart. If you like scary stories and you want to support the show, buy some of my books. I have a whole slew of them, and most of them are just 99 cents. Go to maniacontheloose.com slash books. Again, this is a great way to support the show. That's maniacontheloose.com slash books. Dark Web Mystery Box The internet that most people use is only a small percentage of the World Wide Web. The majority of the internet is made up of something called the Deep Web. The Deep Web, also known as the Invisible Web or the Hidden Web, consists of pages that are not indexed by common search engines. The Dark Web is a small subsection of the deep web that's only accessible with special software or authorization. Similar to the deep web, search engines don't index material that's on the dark web. Pages are hidden, and activity is totally anonymous. Bad things happen on the dark web. The following is one woman's terrifying experience with the dark web. My name is Sarah. I love to explore the unknown. I'm obsessed with investigating abandoned locations and trying to uncover any parts of their history that may have been passed over. I'm also what some people refer to as a spelunker, which means I love to explore caves especially those that have only been lightly explored. When I heard about the dark web, I just had to know more. To me, it was a digital underground mystery that warranted vast exploration. I downloaded the necessary software and dove in headfirst. I discovered an assortment of disturbing things. This is the region of the internet where people can buy drugs, fake passports, illegal weapons, pornography, hitmen, and just about any nefarious transaction one can think of. I was happening upon a lot of things that were unnerving, but not much that was mysterious and interesting. That is, until I discovered mystery boxes. There are sites on the dark web where you can purchase anything imaginable, legal or illegal. One of those things that people tend to order from the dark web is mystery boxes. You pay the asking price via cryptocurrency so that the transaction can't be traced, and then you provide an address. When the mystery box arrives, you open it not having any idea what may be within. It sounded like dark, mysterious fun for someone like me who loves to explore the unknown. So I ordered one for 
and had it sent to a P.O. box as I did not want the mysterious sender to be aware of my actual address. I knew with the transaction being anonymous that I ran the risk of simply being ripped off and never receiving my mystery box. After three weeks had gone by without receiving it, I assumed that was the case, so I was delighted when a large package was delivered to my P.O. box. I picked up the mystery box and brought it back home. It was a large, tattered cardboard box. The P.O. box address was written on the top of the box in crayon. There was no return address. I set the box on the kitchen table and carefully opened it. Inside the box were eight smaller packages. They were all stacked neatly within the box and were wrapped gracefully with Christmas-themed wrapping paper. Each package had a large number written on the front that went from one to eight. I opened them in order. Package one. This was a small box no more than five inches across and was extremely light. Inside, I discovered a balled-up piece of notebook paper. I carefully opened up the crinkled-up wad of paper. At the top of the paper, written in black crayon, were the words, Help me. And there was a phone number underneath the words. I picked up my phone and dialed the number. It immediately went to voicemail, and I was greeted by a cheerful woman's voice. Hi, this is Michelle. Please leave a message. I hung up the phone and moved on to package number two. The second package was the size of a shoebox. After unwrapping it, I found out that it actually was a shoebox. I removed the lid and found one woman's shoe. It was a white sneaker. The treads on the bottom of the shoe were worn. The shoe itself was quite scuffed. I could even detect the subtle scent of feminine sweat. This shoe had obviously been well used. Package number three. This package was very small and long. It clearly wasn't a solid container. Upon opening it, I found a small cellophane bag. There was something dark and soft looking inside. I removed the object and realized that it was a lock of long, human hair that was bound together tightly with a yellow rubber band. The hair was dark, sandy blonde. I could smell the fragranced hairspray from it. Package number four. The fourth package was small as well, but I could tell it was a box or some kind of container. When I removed the wrapping paper, a black velvet ring box was revealed. I snapped it open and gagged slightly as the mystery box began to take a dark turn. Inside the ring box was a human tooth. There was still dried blood on the root. I was feeling uneasy at this point and was reluctant to continue with the unboxing, but I figured I came this far. Deep down, I was hoping at some point one of these boxes would unveil the fact that this is all some kind of a sick joke. Package number five. This package was thin and I correctly guessed that it was an envelope. 
Inside the envelope was an incredibly distressing photograph. In the photograph was a woman in her late 20s with dark sandy blonde hair. She appeared to be passed out and was propped up against a wall. At the top of the photo I could see a pair of someone else's arms in the frame. The person was wearing a black long-sleeved shirt and dark gloves. He was tugging on the woman's hair, which he had placed in the jaws of a pair of scissors. At the bottom of the picture was another pair of arms, removing a sneaker off of the woman's foot. It was clearly the same sneaker I had been sent. Posing prominently in the foreground of the photo was another person's gloved hand, holding a pair of pliers. Package number six. I was scared of continuing but felt like I needed to. I still held out hope that at some point it would be confirmed that none of this was real. And if it were real, I wanted to be aware of the evidence I was bringing to the police. This package contained a VHS videotape. It did not have a cover. There was a post-it note on the front of the tape that had the words... Watch me, scribbled on it. I did own a VHS player, so I put the videotape in and pressed play. The image was very grainy and would sometimes be interrupted by flashes of static. Occasionally, the vertical hold would become unstable. The image was dark, but I could hear the audio just fine. There was no mistaking the haunting sound of a woman whimpering. Suddenly, someone cast a spotlight on the woman who was crying. It was the woman from the photo. She was shackled to a dark, grimy wall. She was wearing nothing other than a bra and panties. She was gagged, but I could still make out a trickle of blood running down her mouth from the pulled tooth. She was trying to speak, but her words were inaudible. Mostly, she was just crying. She was absolutely filthy. She appeared to be smeared with what I hoped was mud and not excrement. The video lasted approximately 15 seconds before it turned to a static screen. Package number 7 I opened this one in a rush because I wanted to gather all of these packages up and haul them to the police. Package 7 was a manila envelope. I removed a glossy photo from it. The photo revealed a bird's eye satellite image. I can make out a small, rural neighborhood with lots of surrounding trees. There was an arrow written with permanent marker pointing at a specific house. Due to the angle of the satellite image, it took me several minutes to realize what I was looking at. My blood ran cold when I realized that this was my neighborhood in the photo, and the arrow was pointing at my house. I don't know how they knew my address. I had this package sent to a P.O. box. But somehow, they knew. I jumped up from the kitchen chair and was ready to sprint from the house when I heard a phone ring. But it wasn't my phone that was ringing. The ringing was coming from within the mystery box. I cautiously moved back to the box and peered inside. 
Package number eight. Package number eight was ringing. I removed the wrapping paper and looked down at the black, cordless phone as it continued to ring. I answered it and held it to my ear. The voice I heard was distorted and deep. I'm outside, waiting for you. I ran to the kitchen window and looked out into my front yard. In the driveway was a white van. Two men were standing outside of it staring at me. They were both dressed in black and had on latex Santa Claus masks. That's when I heard a loud creak behind me. Before I could spin around to see what it was, I felt a heavy calloused hand wrap around my mouth. There was a cloth in the hand and it smelled so strong that it burned my nostrils and everything went black. I woke up in a dark room shackled to the disgusting grimy wall that I recognized from the video I had received in the mystery box. I was only in my bra and panties. I was gagged and I tongued the bloody empty socket where one of my teeth used to be. I too was smeared with what I hoped was mud, but from the stench confirmed that it was indeed excrement. I stared forward into a bright light and realized I was being videotaped. I wondered what they would do to me, but then as I gazed about the repulsive room, I recognized the girl from the previous video. Her head was sitting atop a spike amongst dozens of other women's heads. Soon my head would join theirs as would the head of the next woman who ordered a mystery box. The Pyramid Shortly after the Soviet Union fell, I was the first person to enter their top-secret aeronautical and space facility. Upon entering one of the main hangars on the grounds, I was met with the overwhelming stench of death. I quickly gazed upon the grisly scene from which the decaying odor was stemming from. On the ground were three men in security guard uniforms. They all held revolvers in their hands and had been shot dead. About ten feet away from them was a man dressed in cosmonaut gear. He too held a pistol and was riddled with bullets. What we had here was an old-fashioned shootout, but nobody survived to tell the tale. What had happened here? Upon closer inspection of the scene, I noticed an unusual object in the cosmonaut's non-gun hand. It was black and about the size of a baseball. I crouched as close to the body as I could get, while still tolerating the rotting stink. The object appeared to be pyramid-shaped. 
I stood up and gazed about the hangar and my eyes immediately fixed upon the high-tech, single-passenger space shuttle that was stationed nearby. I had no idea the Soviets had such advanced technology, but the proof was sitting before me. The main hatch to the shuttle was still open. I didn't hesitate to enter. The array of dash panel lights within the shuttle was overwhelming. I looked them over carefully and recognized the recording label. There were various cameras situated both on the interior and exterior of the shuttle. Next to the video controls was a monitor. I began turning various knobs until an image appeared on the screen. The image displayed a view of the cosmonaut within the shuttle shortly after he had landed and maneuvered the vehicle into the hangar. Before the shuttle had even come to a complete stop, the cosmonaut had opened the hatch and immediately began firing his weapon. Why? Why would a cosmonaut returning from a mission exit the space shuttle guns a-blazing? I stood up and stepped into the cargo section of the shuttle and noticed a large white sack toppled over on its side. A few of the objects within the sack had spilled out onto the shuttle's floor. Pyramids. The bag was filled with the same type of pyramid objects that the crazed cosmonaut was holding in his hand. I stepped to the bag, bent down, and picked up one of the pyramids. It was cold to the touch and lighter than expected. Each side of the pyramid was polished, refined, and smooth as glass. There were also tiny hieroglyphic etchings near the edges. The pyramids were made from black iron stone. This material is only found on meteorites, which meant these strange pyramid objects were not of this earth. They originated from somewhere in outer space. As I continued to rub my fingers against the smooth edges of the pyramid, I felt a jolt course through my body followed by a freezing sensation as if someone had injected ice water into my veins. I wasn't alarmed or frightened. Somehow I knew this was normal and that the sensation would subside shortly after it reached my head. For a split second, my brain felt like it was on fire. Again, this didn't panic me. I knew it was part of the process. Process? What process? And how did I know all of this? These questions were answered instantly as a flood of information rammed into my mind. I felt like a flash drive being inserted into the hard drive of the universe's most complex computer. The messages I was receiving into my brain were indeed from outer space. From a species so far advanced that those who haven't handled the pyramid 
would not be able to comprehend. And those of us who have, give ourselves over to them immediately. My mission is to destroy as many human-made structures and humans as possible, but not before sharing the knowledge of the pyramids with others so that they too can join the mission. I will dispense the pyramids quickly. Others will be eager to study them. They in turn will join the destruction and share the pyramids with others, and so on, and so on. Planet Earth will topple. Most imagine that if an extraterrestrial invasion were to occur on our planet, it would be swaths of alien ships attacking us with laser beams. The truth is much simpler and comes in the form of a stone shaped like a pyramid. We hope you enjoyed the show. We're dying for you to come back for more. <laughs> Visit ManiacOnTheLoose.com Sign up for our newsletter and I'll give you some free stuff. We'll see you soon. Very soon. If you like the Maniac and the Loose Scary Stories podcast, please subscribe on whatever platform you listen on. Feel free to leave a nice review, too, if you like. And don't be shy about letting other people know about the show. All of these things help us out a ton, and we appreciate it very much.